knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Huh? And it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Welcome to Theology Gals. We are going to be talking on today's episode about domestic abuse, domestic violence, and we have a special guest who's going to be joining us in just a little bit. But I also have a special guest host, and she's one of the ladies from my group and somebody who I've gotten to know. And Marissa, can you just share a little bit about yourself and also your background with counseling? Sure. Thank you for having me on to co-host with you today, Colleen. Um, my, my name is really Marissa Namir. You might know me as Marissa Hidwith God in Christ. That's who I, I am on Facebook. <laughs> um, uh, my background as far as counseling is concerned is uh, I do have a bachelor's in biblical counseling from Bob Jones University of all places. I uh, ended up at um, Clemson University for my master's degree and received my national certification in 2002. I am licensed with the state of Georgia and I've practiced um, in the state mental health system as well as private practice since 2007. So quite a history. I've seen a lot of domestic abuse, um, especially when I was working with the, the mental health system. So, and unfortunately right. it's not isolated and we'll talk about that more in this episode that it is um, fairly pervasive in the churches as well. So, right. And after the episode, we're going to, Marissa and I will come back after we interview our special guest and just kind of talk a little bit more at the end because you know as you know marissa this has been something that's come up in the group we've had yes. women come in and say you know confess that they're being abused and so the purpose really is twofold number one to offer encouragement and direction to someone who's in this situation but also to encourage people who are having women come to them in this situation and and also i think too one of one of my goals is that people would go to their church their churches their pastors their elders and say you know what is our policy when these situations come up because i'm i'm really convinced i think a lot of churches just aren't prepared you know these situations come up and they're not sure how to deal with them 
Unfortunately, that's true. And that's one of the things that attracted me to um, our guest is that um, he's written fairly extensively on the subject. So I really want to hear what he has to say and what his experience has been dealing with this issue. Yeah. And that's, and Marissa actually helped me. I had asked her to come on the show to talk about this and um, because Ashley's gone this week and she said, you know, there is, there's somebody who I think would be great to have on and she arranged this. So we're, we're really excited that um, he agreed to come on. So we will be back in just a couple minutes and introduce you to our guest and, and talk about the topic. And, and as always, I just wanted to mention that everything we talk about today will be on the website, BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Click on Theology Gals. I'm going to have links to our guest books, his website, and if there are any other resources mentioned on the episode. So we will do that, and we will be right back. If in you want to be a radical Christian, then you need to go to New Jersey. Not because going to New Jersey is all that, well, it's a little bit radical, but you will be a radical Christian if you attend the 10th anniversary of the Striving for Eternity conference called Jersey Fire. What makes it so radical? The preaching on the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the mercy of God, the truth of God, the creator God. Why all that head knowledge? So that you can hit the streets with seasoned evangelists and actually apply the theology you learned. That is what makes this conference so radical. If you would like to learn a lot about God and then actually tell people about God, July 7th through the 8th, Toms River, New Jersey, jerseyfire.org, jerseyfire.org. And we're back, and we have a special guest today, Jeff Crippen, who's pastor of Christ Reformation Church in Tillamook, Oregon. And he has, let's see, co-authored a book, A Cry for Justice. And also you have another book, too, Unholy Charade, Unmasking the Domestic Abuser in the Church. Can you just maybe share a little bit about yourself and why you took this subject on? Oh, sure. I could talk and talk, but I'll try to capsulize it. Um, it, It's great to be here with you today. I've been a Christian since uh, childhood and um, met my wife in high school. We've been married for 46 years. I initially, after college, became a police officer, and I was a police officer in the Portland, Oregon area for around 14 years. The last three years, I went to uh, seminary also at Multnomah Biblical Seminary in in Portland. And when I graduated, I became a pastor. And uh, I've been a pastor now for 34 years, and I've been at this church in Tillamook for 24 years. Um, That's just some of my background. As far as why I wrote those books, um, it, it wasn't planned at all. In fact, those would have been the last, that would have been really domestic violence would have been the last subject 
in ways that I would have thought I would have ever written a book about if I was going to, to write one. But um, actually what led up to writing the first book, A Cry for Justice, was the uh, really those 25 years, first 25 years as a pastor that eventually, that, that actually, even though I didn't realize it at the time, that exposed me to being the target of abusers who are very, very similar to domestic uh, abusers, and in some cases were, were both. But those first 25 years of pastoral ministry, there was hardly a single day that went by when I just, I just didn't want, I wanted to quit. If there would have been any way that I could have left, um, I, I would have done so. But the Lord didn't offer any, any, any escape. But I didn't realize what was the source of the discouragement at the time. It was, it was wicked people, who, which I would call abusers now, who claimed to be Christians. And, uh, and that mixed up with some wrong things about my, in my thinking about who a Christian is and so on. All, all added into a recipe of of trouble. Uh, the final key that opened my eyes came as a result of a uh, five-year-old child in our church being molested by a teen who was also a member of our church, and both of their families were very good friends of, of mine and my wife's, and uh, that so that incident in itself is a long, long story as it played itself out in our church. But at, uh, after I had called the police, I began to look for some books on the characteristics of sexual predators. I'd, I'd seen a couple of them before in the church and also as a police officer. And so I, I suspected that someone had done some studies. And so the first book that I, I got a hold of was written by a psychologist, not necessarily a Christian, but uh, his name's Scott Allen Johnson, and the name of his book was Physical Abusers and Sexual Offenders. And as I read it, I didn't get very far into it before I began to realize that almost all of the same mentalities and tactics, and he, so he's dealing with sexual offenders and domestic violence offenders, that I saw that the mentalities and tactics that he was describing that these people use were the same, very much the same kind that had been used against me as a pastor by all of those supposed um, holy church members, those supposed Christians. And I realized that, that like uh, domestic abusers and other predators, the people that I'd been dealing with in these churches were uh, all after power and control. They lacked conscience and they were extremely deceptive uh, in their, in their uh, presentation, how they presented themselves and, and their tactic and, and so on. And, uh, and so ultimately then, as a result of that, uh, and I can, I'll, I'll explain a little bit further uh, later on what action I took and our church took at that point, uh, but that was the start of of why uh, that, that that led up to writing the books and 
in having our blog ministry. Yeah, so I had actually read that a large percentage of sexual abusers consider themselves religious. And I was pretty surprised by, by those numbers when I was doing the research. Also, what, what, you, what you described sounds very much like a narcissistic personality. Yeah, you run into all of them. I'm, I'm not a psychologist or an expert on all of the classic definitions of those terms. So I just know them generally, but whatever sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissists, and, yep. and so forth are, are, I know them well. Yes. And, and, uh, and they're hiding, they're hiding in our churches. Christians more than anyone else should be very, very concerned with learning about this. Agreed. Can you, I think this would be really, really, really helpful, helpful if you can define abuse and talk about what it looks like. Okay. Um, it's easier to define than tell what it looks like, but, but, the, but you can begin to recognize it after a while. Uh, what I'll do to define it, it and, uh, and the domestic abusers, I'll, I'll just read the, the paragraphs that we have on our website that, that lay it out, and then we can we can talk about it. Um, so we define abuse, and I don't think we're the only ones that define it this way. We define abuse as a pattern. That's important. It's an it's a pattern of coercive control of ongoing actions or actions that that proceed. This pattern of of coercive control proceeds from a a mentality a mindset of entitlement to power. These are the key words now. Entitlement to power, whereby through intimidation, manipulation, and isolation, the abuser keeps his, and we'll refer to the abuser as him, his, uh, to keep things simple, uh, to keep his target subordinated and under his control. And this can involve emotional, verbal, psychological, spiritual, sexual, financial, social uh, patterns. You notice I didn't mention physical yet. Oftentimes, in some ways, uh, that's the easiest one to sort out, uh, but it certainly can be physical violence as well. You don't want to think that domestic violence is just physical. but And not all of those elements need to be present. Now, a, a domestic abuser is defined as a family member or dating partner who has a profound mentality of entitlement to the possession of power and control over the one that he chooses to mistreat. This mentality of entitlement defines the very essence of the abuser. The abuser believes he is justified in using evil tactics to obtain and maintain that power and control. So there you have the fundamental thing that we're talking about when we say abuse or abuser. We're talking about a person who is characterized. I mean, this is who they are. This is, even though they'll, they'll wear a disguise, who they really are in the essence of their of, of how they think and, and the person that they are. They are a person who fully believes uh, that they are entitled to have power and control over others and in, in, a, in a domestic situation over their over their spouse. And therefore 
they use tactics, a whole litany of tactics to obtain and maintain that power and control. And they have little or no conscience. So, so they, they feel absolutely justified in using these tactics in order to get that power and control. And then they can, they can go to bed at night and sleep quite well, unbothered by a guilty conscience because they see the term, they're, they're entitled to it. They have title to this power and control. And boy, if, if their victim is not going to grant that power and control and submit to it, then he is fully justified in his mind to use whatever ammo and tactics he needs to to, to get her to submit to him under that power and control. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, sometimes people that want to oppose this, this whole uh, uh, exposure of abuse. They'll, they'll say, well, you, you guys, according to you guys, everything is abusive. You're all the time. Why every marriage has it? No, it's not true. When we point them to our specific uh, definition then. So, um, Anyway, that's how we define it. Can you unpack a little bit? Um, you hit on something a minute ago. I, I've had patients um, with some, some, um, well, specifically some men who want to ask me, uh, what, how would you define abuse and what is enough? How much abuse should a woman be willing to endure, forgive, excuse um so what would you what would you say as far as um you know the kinds of abuse that you were mentioning and how much well i would say that it's it's more a matter of what would you say quality than quantity in other words the the thing to decide is am i married to an abuser and, and if so, the fact of the matter is that everything that the abuser does in that marriage, even buying her flowers, everything that he does is abuse because it's proceeding from a mindset, an evil motivation in his mindset so that everything he does, it's, it's, it's hard for us we're normal people, whatever you want to call it, who, who uh, don't think this way, it's hard for us to imagine that the abuser is, uh, well, let me back up. In Scott Allen Johnson's book on sexual predators, he says, too, and, and others have confirmed that, that um, everything a pedophile, a sexual predator of children does everything he does the job he works at the kind of clothes he wears the the car that he drives everything he does is dictated is impelled by his desire to molest children well an abuser this is who he is and so um, and so if a if a woman is able to determine that that she's married to an abuser, then it doesn't really matter, um, well, questions about how much, how often, and so forth, because an abuser is, is dishing it out all the time, all the time. Does that make sense? 
Yes. And I will add to what you just said. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, I, I'm a licensed counselor and I worked for the state of Georgia for many years. Um, when we would do mental health evaluations, um, almost everything, every symptom, every experience could be marked by history. But a sexual predator, you can't mark as history. It has to be marked as current. In other words, that never goes away. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I mean, but by the grace of God, of course, he's, if he can turn the terrorist that the, was Saul turned into the Apostle Paul, if he can change him, then he can change a sexual abuser. But it, I'm just saying that to say how pervasive it is and not to be taken lightly. Right. So, Pastor, what patterns, you know, did you see, have you seen in the church that alert you that there may be abuse occurring? Well, um, in, 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 one, in one sense, it wasn't a matter of me in our own church and our experience here of uh, becoming all wise about domestic violence and then, and then looking around and see, I was kind of, it was kind of coming out, revealing itself over time as I was learning too. But I can look back now and I can, I can give some, uh, you know, as I woke up to it, I was able to think back and I still do that a lot about people that have come and gone and so forth and abusers that, and, and how they behaved and, 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 and their victims as well and things that you could, could watch for. Um, and I, I, maybe I'll, I will combine together um, with this, you know, things that you would see in, in people that might tip you off that domestic violence is going on, but also some things that you could see in a church that would um, uh, tip you off to the fact that this church is an abuser-friendly environment, okay? So I'll kind of combine those two things here, but uh, first of all, any church that promotes what we call patriarchy, that is, teachings that develop and, and promote an atmosphere and a culture in a church where men are inherently seen as superior to women, well, this is going to be fertile ground for, for abusers to operate in, and that would be an, an alarming con condition, right? So, um, uh, there, and that, that's patriarchy goes further, in my opinion, than, than what... Um, a church that says, well, we're complementarian in our, you know, we, we take Ephesians 5 in, in such a way, and the husband is head of the wife and, the, and submission. That, that's a whole other subject in and of itself. But I can tell you this much, when, when a church teaches things like that and then fails to teach what Scripture is, is not teaching, and they begin to develop this superiority of men over women in, in this patriarchal atmosphere, for example, a church that would teach that the husband and father is the priest of his home. And children, therefore, are to serve him in his ministry. Well, then you're, this, I know it's unbiblical. So there's one thing to watch for is that, and those can be real common because people think that that's God's will, that that's what they've always been told, that kind of scenario, patriarchy is... Is that's where the real 
sold out Christians are and so on. But uh, that's that's a dangerous in, environment. Um, wives who regularly say things like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, almost habitually. They're, because the, in, in, the, the abuser will condition her to do that. It's always her fault. It's never his fault. Always her fault. And, uh, and so I've, I've talked to a couple of women like that. And, and actually, in both of those cases, they actually got visibly upset and angry at me for mentioning it because it was starting to expose what was really going on. Um, a wife who is required to abide by rules set down by her husband, uh, be they economic, social, or religions, or so forth. Um, um, well, you have to be begin to be suspicious that something something is wrong. You know, she's not allowed to spend money at all. He can spend whatever he wants, but she can. She's not to allowed to it at all and um, those those kinds of things he dictates all of her social activities he selects the clothing that she's gonna gonna wear all of, all of that uh, those are warning signs uh, comments made by by men that indicate that they demand power and control one of the worst abusers I've ever met uh, operated behind the scenes in our church for over 20 years and one time he came to me almost boasting. Well, he was boasting about it. And he said, you know, I, I told my wife recently that she must obey me. And our, our marriage has been better ever since. See, well, there's, that's, that's about all the info you need to know about a guy um, if he is telling his wife those kinds of, of things. And then the presence of people in your church who put themselves across as most holy and eminent Christians, but you're always uncomfortable around them. You never know when they're going to go off and judgment on you or, or, and abusers, I realize are not the only ones that do this, but, but the ones that I've had to deal with, as I look back on it, I have never been comfortable around them. And, uh, and so you know, we could go, we could go, on and on, but there are indicators and of abuse being present. And the more that you can educate yourself to the nature and tactics of abuse, the better able you'll be able to, to, to spot it. Um, you would be wise. It would, it would be as if it's a wise thing for a Christian to just assume that it's present. Abusers are present in your church. Now, um, um, that doesn't mean that you're going to go on a on a hunt now and, and try to say, but but the problem is that what's happening is most Christians assume that that abusers are not in their church, and that's a that's a that's a big mistake. Right. I actually read something that you know said this is the percentage of people who are abusers. So you, you have to assume that there is a percentage of those people in your church. C correct. And, and in fact, I wonder, I don't have any data on this at all, but, but um, a typical local church may even attract more of them because it, if, they are, if a church is ignorant about abuse, 
and couple that with teaching doctrines from scripture that they think are scripture they've been told are scripture but they're not but they they uh, enable abuse abusers well then yeah. we may have a higher percentage of abusers in a church i i believe that our church did um years ago until that we began to bring these things to light so how did you then you know once you kind of figured this out how did you respond to it in your own church well um what i did was um i didn't really sit down and try to plan anything i, I was learning as i went but um um i i knew that i had to pass on what i was learning to our whole church every this was important we everyone needed to know this and uh i began to realize just how much instruction in scripture the lord has given to us about the wicked and coming in into our into our churches and as uh, wolves in sheep's clothing and but most christians don't want to talk about it so i told our church elders what i was learning and i showed them the book and gave them copies and i told them that i wanted to preach a sermon series to our congress our congregation and it would be very easy to to do so by uh, simply preaching on uh, numbers of scriptures that i knew that were addressing this and immediately we had three elders at the time one of the elders that was there was this fellow that had told his bragged about his wife telling his wife she needed to obey him and uh, he's one of these guys that I never, ever felt comfortable around. And, and uh, well, he, he exploded at that meeting into a tantrum fit. He was sitting on a couch in my office, and he was literally thrashing around on, on the couch. He was so agitated. And he accused me of abandoning God's word for a social gospel now and said, you know, we can't allow this. But the other elders were all for it. And so we went ahead, and uh, over the months ahead, this guy, he, he tried his best to put a stop to it, but it, it didn't work. And, and uh, um, he, uh, but anyway, I, I, I ended up delivering 22 sermons. I didn't intend, I didn't have that intention. I thought I'd preach for a month or so, and that would be about it. But, but ended up with 22 sermons in that series, and we put the, the sermons on Sermon Audio, and they're still there today, sermonaudio.com slash CRC. Um, and I thought then that that was the end of it. Okay, I've, I've done my job and we'll watch it. But that was just the beginning because we began to receive phone calls and emails from Christian women who were victims of abuse in almost all cases, their abuser was parading as an eminent church member, not just a church member, but might be some pillar or officer in the church. We had uh, uh, pastors' wives calling us, missionaries' wives, who were abuse victims. And, and these people would thank us, and I'm, I'm not trying to be boastful at all here or anything, or try to exaggerate. This is just what happens, and it still happens today. They, they get a hold of us, 
and they thank us and usually about three times they'll say thank you thank you thank you and then they'll say you saved my life you're the first pastor that's ever believed me hmm. and uh and and then eventually someone uh, got a hold of me and said you need to put this in a book and and uh, and and so i i did eventually i drug my heels a little bit at, at it but um and so i did and and it's a longer story i won't go into all the details but you know, over the course of time the abusers bailed from our church they did not want their their families listening to this they used all kinds of other excuses ultimately that one elder we removed him from his office he continued to try to pull tactics behind the scenes and, and we ended up putting him out of the church and uh and we we had to tell and he as always it seems that you know he he took some of his followers with him um and went down the road and in pretty short order became an elder at another church and that church didn't even call us to look into his background, but uh, and they wouldn't believe us if we if we told them. But at any rate, that's what we did, and we started the blog simply to um, a cry for justice blog just to let people know that the book was available, and it it took off and and grew and and in since 2012, there's been almost a million people now visit that site you had mentioned wow. that that you um you get calls from all kinds of women pastors wives missionaries wives um, on the other side of that do you get pushback i mean have you heard from from pastors or elders questioning you or anything on no not directly they don't i i've had a couple i've had it happen maybe one or two times where the person was actually, in my opinion, an abuser themselves. And we, we've had some abusers give some pushback like that, leave some message or whatever. And sometimes they'll do it in a, in a deceptive way. But um, no, it's more, um, the main pushback we get is when on our blog, we take on some Christian celebrity type author or writer who's been putting out myriads of material that just just enables abusers and and oppresses victims and we expose that for for what it is and then we'll get blasted will you please um talk to us a little bit more about that is that okay with you colleen yeah and i i actually think maybe even including the next question in this which i think you kind of already have as far as how reformed churches are even, I mean, I think with enabling the patriarchy, um, but enabling it in, in some of our circles. Yeah. Um, I'll remind me if I, if I skip some, some of that, uh, I'll, I'll try the, yeah, the, the first for, for, for instance, Christians are really making a big mistake by, almost worshiping and idolizing celebrity figures, be they authors or 
pastors of mega churches or whatever, whatever it might be. But I can I give you a typical example here. Um, John Piper. If you criticize John Piper, you're going to get all kinds of heat because he has all these followings. Yet John Piper is a man who, in addition to, in my opinion, some very questionable teachings on justification. Um, on top of that, here's a guy who writes books and tells people that divorce is never permitted by God, ever, ever, for, for nothing at all. You could never divorce. Certainly, if you ever do divorce, you can't, you can't remarry. And, and, uh, and done some critical reviews of his, of his stuff. And, and, uh, and then you'll, you'll start getting commenters coming in or uh, blasting us for, you know, how dare you. So this business of Christians just swallowing hook, line, and sinker some, because someone is famous, well-known, oh, it must be true if they wrote it and some publisher publish it, is it's akin to um, Christ rebuking the Pharisees for saying, you know, you people are are teaching as the word of God the traditions of men. And, and these traditions that are embraced by so many of us because we, we've been taught them and we haven't really, and we've thought, well, these people that are teaching us, we respect these, it must be true. Um, distortions about what the Bible says about forgiveness and you know demanding that if to truly forgive somebody you have to reconcile your relationship with them and even if they're not repentant and what was the other part I'd asked in reform churches specifically it seems that in certain reform circles with you know patriarchy and some of these things that it's providing a safe place for abusers. Yes, I, I agree. Now, I'm a Reformed Baptist pastor. Our church is Reformed. We hold to the London Confession of Faith, which is basically the Westminster Confession. Um, and, and so we're, we're Reformed, and we embrace re Reformed doctrine. But, but I must say that in our ministry at A Cry for Justice, it's ironic to me, because Reformed doctrine, uh, our confessions of faith are so good at um, defining the gospel and justification by faith alone and regeneration and the and sanctification and the, and the nature of, of, the, of, of the Christian and what happens to us when we're saved and, and so forth, that we should be, I think, Reformed Christians ought to be leaders against abusers hiding as Christians and so forth. And so in one way or another, and I'm not sure why it is that, that I just have to say that, that many Reformed Christians are not following uh, Reformed doctrine, which is, which is then to say they're not following, they're not following scripture. Reformed churches are not the only ones that are often infected with patriarchy, but they are some of the most typical places that we find it. As I, as I mentioned, uh, teachings that the man is the priest of his home and family. The man is to be 
obey. Men are superior to women, even if that's not really quite stated. Nevertheless, it's com uh, communicated. And all of those things work together to create an atmosphere that's very abuser, abuser friendly. Um, you had um, uh, in, it was in reform circles that for instance, that Doug Phillips and the Vision Forum thing uh, played itself out, and and uh, and so uh, there it is. It, it, that's I'll, I'll just say that if you're in a Reformed church, don't think that by by any means because uh, it is it is very 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 common. How do you think I, this kind of feeds into? The next question I was going to ask you, um, how should pastors and elders respond when they are made aware of domestic violence? To domestic violence. Well, um, and there is a tip, a typical response. I, I have it in, in the book, a cry for justice, a, a pattern that's, that's normally followed. So, um, one of the things that you, you said, um, was brought up to me the other day concerning domestic violence is that, uh, or just, I guess you could say divorce in general or reporting or whatever. Um, the Bible commands Christians not to take other Christians to court. Mm, oh, first Corinthians six. So yeah, that's, that was something that's, that was brought right, and, up to me the other day. And I, I wanted, that. and I wanted to just add, cause this will go in with it. Cause I know specifically of a situation right now where a child was abused and the pastor said he's repentant you mm -hmm. should not go to the police okay so what do you say about the whole bringing in the civil authorities issue yeah. well first of all romans 13 christians are supposed to obey the civil authorities we're supposed to obey the law and the law in as far as i know every state requires that when um, certain aspects of domestic violence and certainly the abuse of a child are brought to the attention of people who are required reporters and pastors are some of them, uh, uh, they're required to call the police. They don't have an option. And if they don't, they can go to jail. They can go to jail for it. So, so they're required to do so and we are to we are to obey the law. Secondly, the civil authorities have been appointed by God in, in their realm, just as the church has been appointed in its realm. And when it comes to, to crime, it is not the role of the church to handle it. It's not in the church's jurisdiction. It's in the jurisdiction of the civil authorities and they are they are the ones that are to be to be notified. As far as not taking a fellow believer to court, I think from First Corinthians six, one of the uh, you have to just look at the context there. Paul's talking about day to day. Um, well, let me back up. One of the big errors that you see repeatedly. In, in the handling of scripture and hermeneutics is to take a scripture passage that was never written to be an all-inclusive 
covers every possible situation uh, principle and turn it into that. You, um, Paul is addressing in, in, in the Corinthian church this issue of people in the church going to, I guess in our day it would be kind of like going to small claims court, right? Here, here now they say, I say that this, this brother in Christ, you know, he, he ripped me off in this business deal. And, um, and, and, and Paul is saying, you know, for you guys to go to court and publicly and go at each other over this is, this is blasphemes the name of Christ. You, uh, um, are, you know, there's other ways to handle this, right? And, and, the, and the law permits it. The law, the law permitted it. You see, we don't have to go to small claims court. We can sort this out here in, in the church. But to take that principle in that passage and to apply it universally as a universal rule that under no conditions, under no conditions is a Christian permitted by God to, well, if, if you were going to, extrapolate it the way a lot of these people do is that you couldn't report anything that a person does to the police. You, you couldn't testify in a, in a criminal trial because you're going to court with a brother. And, and, and and so we have to use a little bit of sanctified common sense here. Abusers would love, I mean, the wicked would just love that. Those arguments just don't, just don't hold water. Can I point you to chapter and verse where, okay, well, there, here you go. Yeah, here, it's okay to go to court here, but not over here. But I think that we just have to take real care in applying 1 Corinthians 6 as a kind of get out of jail free card. I mean, there are Old Testament passages that, of course, they would say, well, that's Levitical. It doesn't count anymore. But still, there's a precedence that shows that we do execute justice for certain issues <laughs> sure. um, it, that shows us how God views that. I'm, you did um, clarify some of that because it sounds like you would take them through a course of um, um, church discipline. And if it's continued continual unrepentance, then excommunication. Yes. And, and as I said, the sad thing is, I don't, I can't think of hardly any abusers that were, have been, and I know personally have been excommunicated, but I know numbers of, of victims that have been excommunicated. Well, they do, they ex, what happens from my experience is they'll end up excommunicating themselves because they won't submit to the church authority. They have counseling or anything like that. They'll just That's go right. away. You know, as a, professional counselor, we're instructed that as soon as someone makes an allegation of abuse, you immediately take action, whether you think they're manipulating you or not. You remove them from the situation and then investigate later. For their safety. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you find out that you were being played. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I, and the alternative is what if they really are being abused and you send them back into that situation? That's not, that's not okay. That's a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that comes, brings in another related topic. And that is that, you know, people say, well, how, 
What if she's lying? What if this guy has never done? Well, first of all, when you look at the experience that Christian women are going to go through in their churches and in their families, if those people are Christians, when they say that they're being abused and that they're going to, they need to se separate or divorce, when you see the flack that these women are going to take, being excommunicated from their church and, and uh, being alienated from people and people allying with their abuser and feeling sorry for him, you begin to realize, you know, if a woman just wants out of her marriage because she wants to run off with some other guy, all right, there's a whole lot of easier routes for her to take mm -hmm. than to claim abuse and, 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 and also to live in it for 20 or 30 years before even saying anything about it. So the, what we tell people is, look, an abuse victim comes to you, believe her. Yes. Believe her. And you, you say, well, yeah, but Proverbs says, uh, yeah, everything sounds true until you hear the other side of the story type thing, to par paraphrase it. And, well, you know what? If you become wise about abuse, you've already heard the other side of the story. The other side of the story is the abuser lying and denying it. But now you've got her side, her side of the story. She's really the second one that's coming. And, and, and so you believe her and you validate her, which is probably the, the most healing thing that you can do for her. And, and, uh, and you believe her. And you know that the times when you, when it's all played out and we're with the Lord and we find out, oh, how many times were they lying to me? How many, how many false abuse victims came to me? You're going to find that it's infinitesimal. Um, and so you can, you can confidently believe, isn't it interesting that, that we want to, we will, we will quickly believe that she's lying, <laughs> but not believe that she's telling the truth, you see. So, um, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. That absolutely to support them and help them and get away from that situation is 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 vital yeah and i think you've answered a, a, a lot of our questions so i'm i'm really grateful for this since we're kind of getting to the end of our time and one thing i would really like to know is do you have some maybe advice for churches on what policies they should have in place because one thing I've realized in the stories that I hear is that it seems like churches are unprepared to deal with it. Should that? Do you think churches should have something in place that when we have abuse come our way, this is how we deal with it? Yes, um, the policy itself won't uh, solve everything, but the the first thing the. The most important thing, advice I could give to a church is, you have got to become wise as serpents about evil. You, you've got, the first thing you've got to do before you write a policy, you, you're not even able to write a policy about it right now. You, you need to get a hold of some books, some material, and you've got to find out 
what this thing is that we're calling abuse. You got to find out what this evil is, what how it thinks, what its tactics are. Then you're going to know how it's going to come at you. And then you'll be in a position where you'll be able to write some kind of a policy, some kind of strategy. This is how we're going to, to deal with this, you see. Um, and, and so the most vital thing is, and that's why we try, we try to put our books and our blog and so forth into people's hands so that they will um, become educated about it. But they have to want it. They have to want, they have to quit wanting their church to be a happy, happy, happy place where surely none of this serious stuff could have. That happens out in the world, but not in the church. You got to get past that. And you have to face up to, to the truth of this, of this matter. And, uh, and then yes, put a, put a policy in place and uh, um, and, and that that'll be wonderful. But as I said, as I said, the our our biggest fan club are the victims. And I, I wish I could say our biggest fan club was the church and the leaders, so that they could be helping. But they have to decide that that's what they want to do. As Christians, we really don't have an excuse to be ignorant about this. The Bible, you become wise about abuse, and, and I mean, your Bible will start jumping off the page at you in a way that you never, ever saw before, uh, because the Lord has given us so much instruction on the nature of evil and how it, how it creeps in. Yeah, and we recommend to our listeners to pick up your books, to check out your website. We're going to link that sermon series that you did on the subject too, because I think we could talk about this all day because there's just so, so much um, out there. And I think this was really helpful. I'm glad you were willing to come on. Well, I'm very glad that you asked. We, we love to have these opportunities to, to uh, expose uh, this hidden evil and, and help and help victims. And uh, if you, if you would ever want to have uh a victim uh, come on a podcast and tell their story. Why just get a hold of us? I'm sure we could arrange that as well. Well, great. Thank you so much. I was just going to say thank you for thank you for taking the time and coming on the show. Obviously, this is something that is very needed. It's just it's just pervasive, and uh, we're glad that we have you for a resource to you know give women some good information and. Godly, You're welcome. Godly wisdom. I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Thanks very much. Thank you. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. 
Come check us out at trackedplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTplanet.com, coupon code BTWN. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Harmonetics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to the Conversations from the port. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Okay, and we're back. And, you know, Maritz and I want to just talk about a couple things before we finish up the episode and one thing marissa had brought up and i think it's really really helpful is the heidelberg catechism which is lord's day 40 questions 105 through 107 which i will link on the resources and marissa do you want to read through those sure i'll do how about if i do 105 and then you do 106 and i'll do 107 okay that sounds great okay so question 105 what does God require in the sixth commandment? And the answer is that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another. But I lay aside all desire for revenge also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with a sword to prevent murder. You know, that's before we go on to the next one, that that really does fit so much into what we were talking about, even the part about the magistrate. Yes, we should be um, not willing to allow ourselves or anyone else to be harmed. And the, the government is in place to protect from such things. So, yes, definitely applicable. And then 106, but this commandment seems only to speak of murder. Answer, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all of these as murder. It goes along with that, the attitudes that are involved. And one of the things that that, um, Jeff Crippen had mentioned was um, control. Kind of goes along with the same, um, right. the same kind of an attitude. And then uh, 107 says, but is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? Answer, no. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, and mercy, and all kindness towards him. To, and prevent his hurt as much as it lies in us, and that we do good even to our enemies. So, Marissa, can you just maybe just talk a tiny bit about how this really 
these catechism questions fit right in with what we're talking about today? Well, I think, you know, obviously, mostly we're dealing with women today and experiencing abuse from their spouses. Clearly, I, th I think um, that one of the, the things I wanted to mention is that the issue of abuse is sin. Uh, one of the questions I asked myself and some of my friends recently is not, um, not how much abuse is a woman able to withstand or to bear. The question is how much is the husband required to love his wife? Right. So the issue comes back around to the man. Is he, is he repentant of this? Is it ongoing? Is it a habitual sin? But Clearly, the woman in this situation is not at fault. And it's a problem in the church if, if the church is perpetuating this idea that it's her fault and that she's the one who needs to provide the remedy. Right, which is very typical in a lot of abuse situations that the women, women are made to feel like it's their fault, like they have done something to deserve this. And if you're in that situation, you need to know that it is not, there's no justification. There's no justification for abuse ever. So in line with the catechism, I would just reiterate that, that it is not sinful to be abused. Abuse is sin. And I would just want to encourage the ladies, if you've been through this, to acknowledge what it is and not to continue to allow it. Don't enable it. Right. But take action. Protect yourself. And if, if you have children, then remove yourself from that kind of a situation. I think that's in line with what the catechism is saying. Don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. Right. Because you you also need to protect, love your children by protecting them if you're in this sort of situation. You know what, I, th I think actually I'd like to read the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism because if you are in this situation, you need to know that there is hope and your hope is in Christ and the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, which I love, memorized it years ago, and I, I probably think about it a few times a day, but it says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Amen. Oh, wow. I was hoping we could bring it around to the gospel, and I that's good gospel truth. <laughs> right. Amen. And ultimately... I think it's so important to remember that our our only hope and our only comfort in life and in death is our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
you know, even if you're in a horrible situation, if you've been abused for years, you you do have hope in Christ. Yes, and he's he's made provision and put things in place for your protection. Right, including including the authorities. Yes, the civil authorities. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you get a good gospel church. Yes. Where the pastors and the elders are willing to help you and protect you. And you know, something I didn't get to say um, in the episode earlier is that I have seen churches deal with it well. And so don't don't feel like all churches are just gonna deal with it poorly because I have seen I've seen a few instances of the church dealing with it well, biblically, loving. And so hopefully you're in one of those churches. Yes. And I would, we were having a conversation, Colleen and, and Jeff and I, after the episode was finished recording. And one of the things that I said is just like, not every husband is abusive. Not every church will be abusive. Right. <laughs> ask your questions. And if you feel like it's going in a bad direction, remove yourself from the situation. You're not stuck there. You're right. not and stuck if you, in that household and you're not stuck at that. If it's a bad church and they're per- perpetuating that kind of abuse, you can remove yourself from that situation and get the help that you need. And if you're in a situation and you feel like you have no resources and you're completely stuck, please email me at theologygals at gmail.com. I will find you resources near where you live. You know, it is not, it is not helpless. Yes, that's great advice. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, I'm always willing to talk to you. I know sometimes um, people know that I'm a counselor and they'll come and talk to me. Just be aware on Facebook. If we have a Facebook relationship, we're friends. I can't establish a professional relationship with you there. Right. But I'm glad to speak with you as a sister in Christ anytime. So, well, Marissa, I'm glad you could join us. Um, I'm glad that you were able to come and sit in. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I'm not such a lighthearted subject, but one that's right. Much, much <laughs> needed, much needed. So I'm glad right. you were able to bring this episode to the ladies. And every, and everything we talked about will be on the website resource information, Jeff's books, his website, um, And if there's any other resources I'm able to gather up, I will put them there. And then you can also, on the website, there's links to how to get a hold of us and that sort of thing. So, well, we will see you next week. 